Hi, everyone. I'm Sheikh. Welcome to Humans of AI, where we meet the people building the technology that's changing our world. Today, we have um, Michael Steffen, who's uh, been a sales leader in the AI world for many years. Michael, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Sheikh. Appreciate the time and look forward to having this chat. Yeah. And for everyone out there in full disclosure, Michael and I have known each other for about 10 years and worked together at uh, Mighty AI, uh, early leader in the uh, training data world that was eventually acquired by Uber ATG. So uh, you might fall into some inside jokes at some point. Uh, uh, so, Michael, you've worked at a ton of different companies over, over the years, um, both in software sales and in services sales <clears throat> and now in AI sales. But um, when you're when you talk to your kids and, and they ask, what do you do? How do you describe your your work to, let's say, a five year old? Yeah, it's a great question. I've actually challenged a number of our executives uh, across companies to figure out how we can position the company in that way. And thankfully, I think it's fairly simple. Uh, and I've actually tested this against my kids and conversely also against my <laughs> grandmother who's never touched technology. So I think it resonates. Oh, that's a higher um, bar. It is. Uh, but I think the easiest way to describe what I do today is to help computers understand the real world. Obviously, you know, we we can branch off and, and chat, uh, discuss with them in a little bit more detail, but that's the easiest way to kind of comprehend what Cognic is doing today. Mm -hmm. uh, and generally what I've been doing over the last, you know, eight plus years in AI machine learning. Nice. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Well, um, on that note, uh, let's uh, time travel a bit. Uh, tell me about your career and how things started. Uh, I'd be curious to hear, you know, what some of those inflection points were along the way that uh, led you to where you are now? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've listened to several of your other podcasts, and I certainly am the least technical person that you've interviewed thus far, and probably one of the more interesting journeys, given that I didn't train technically uh, to kind of get into the field. Uh, and actually, I go back to this quite often. Um, it was almost by sheer luck how I ended up getting into deep technology. Uh, of all things, I responded to a Craigslist ad uh, back in 2010 about a cloud-based startup in Bellevue, Washington that was building some disaster recovery technology for the SMB that was in the cloud. Huh. Uh, and I remember uh, reading the job description and getting an interview scheduled that same day. Uh, immediately called my dad uh, to ask what the heck the cloud was. <laughs> uh, had no understanding of what it meant technically. Uh, and tried to get up to speed as quickly as I could uh, for for the interview. Um, Were you disappointed actually, that there wasn't an actual cloud involved? I wasn't. Uh, I was smart enough to know that that physically wasn't a component <laughs> of it, uh, but just barely. Um, but uh, it was quite uh, a dive into it. Uh, I think I applied on a Wednesday, interviewed on Thursday, got the job offer Friday, well, quit Friday afternoon and started at the company on Monday. Well, uh, and then from there, you know, I was fortunate enough to uh, to build a great relationship with the, the then VP of Sales, um, who was actually my boss for nine years. Obviously, your your boss as well at Mighty, um, and was fortunate enough to be taken to a couple of other startups prior to Mighty AI, and then we kind of stumbled upon this AI, machine learning, computer vision world that. You know, again, was completely foreign to me. 
but one of the most exciting career trajectories that uh, that I've been on and uh, feel that I hope I get to stay in for quite some time. So I feel like this uh, this podcast can just become a ad for Craigslist. That's where all great careers start. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> well, um, as you've gone through uh, different types of um, selling different types of technology, Michael, um, what's been different about selling AI versus other services and products? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think when you compare AI technologies to maybe your traditional legacy tech or, or hardware or things of that nature, I think we're still relatively in the early stages of AI and kind of understanding the business applicability. Obviously, there are use cases where uh, you know the business is built around AI. Mm-hmm. But I think in a lot of other cases, companies are still trying to figure out how they can monetize on AI as a as a technology or as a platform. Um, and then, you know, I'll give you manufacturing as a, a prime example, as that was the previous field that I was in, AI for manufacturing. And you know, you look at manufacturers, and things are largely done the same way that they were, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, sure, they've updated machinery, and yes, there's uh, you know some advanced technology that's happening. But when you bring the concept of artificial intelligence into the discussions, it's extremely foreign to them, and they don't really understand it. They don't understand how to buy it. Um, and it's very hard for them to elaborate the business case internally to key stakeholders on what what AI can bring. Um, so you know, when I look at what I was doing in retrocausal, it was a lot of consultative selling, mm-hmm. uh, really needing to be the subject matter expert and helping guide not only the business, but even in a lot of cases, the technology side of an organization on how this type of technology can be applied. Mm-hmm. Now, again, right, in self-driving cars, AI, ML is really the core of, of what that technology promises. So it's a, a bit of a different sale. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, I think, one of the the harder things about selling AI products is that there's still a lot of unknowns and what the long term business applications can be, um, and really what the business benefits can be. Mm-hmm. Again, obviously, there's there's some clear cut examples, uh, but I think in a lot of businesses they're still trying to figure it out and really taking the approach uh, to become a trusted advisor, uh, be, you know, becoming a consultant to and for the company. Uh, I think has been one of the the uh, best ways that I've tried to approach this and have you know had had degrees of success. Hmm. Um, obviously, when you're making a sale to a enterprise, there are many different uh, customer per- profiles involved and different levels of trust that you need to to build. Going back to your point about building, um, uh, educating the company and what the business value is, what type of stakeholder on a company side have you has it been trickiest with like where where do you find the friction points as you're selling now or in the past yeah i mean i think uh to be frank it's it's almost more of a challenge on the procurement side Hmm. um because i don't think that they've had the insight into what what uh the various business units are trying to accomplish uh, you know, they are tasked with one relatively simple job, you know, to drive down costs as, as much as humanly possible, irrespective of understanding what the value of that technology is to the business or, or ultimately why the business is making the purchase. 
Yeah. So it, it's, you know, it's less strategic for somebody in the procurement world. It's really uh, about the numbers at the end of the day. And I think that's what been one of the bigger challenges that we face, um, you know, when we're going up and down the chain of, of command to try to get approvals and ultimately, you know, POs for, for products and services and whatnot, uh, is trying to help the procurement folks understand what it is that their teams are asking for and the value that's associated, you know, with whatever the dollar purchase is, whether it's $40,000 worth of, of software, or whether it's, you know, multiple millions of dollars. Um, there still seems to be a gap between the, the you know, business procurement folks uh, versus what, what the business is actually asking for uh, and needing at the end of the day. Hmm. So really um, arming folks with the information they need to become champions there. 100%. Got it. 100%. Okay. Hmm. Um, going back to the, uh, the career shifts that, that you made both from... Um, uh, different types of, of technology sales. As you uh, shifted into the world of AI, um, what are some of the ways you educated yourself? And especially now, how do you stay on top of the the latest things that uh, seem to be changing every single week? <laughs> that is the challenge, especially in this uh, AI ML world, right? Everything seems to be changing almost on a daily basis now. Um and as I alluded to earlier, right, I, I didn't grow up in technology. You know, I didn't go to school for this. I didn't study in computer science or, or really anything technical. I went, went to university for, uh, you know, business and finance. And ultimately, when I graduated, was in banking. Um, so, you know, when I got into the field, it was, you know, trying to drink out of a fire hose, trying to get up to speed as much as I possibly could. Um, and it, I, it forced myself to come up with a routine that I still do to this day, where I've got my tech publications that that I'm subscribed to, that I've got up in one of the 700 Google tabs I have open on my browser. And every day, I will go to these publications and read the latest and greatest news, uh, uh, try to understand what companies are getting funded, um, and really just try to dive in. And that's what's worked best for me mm -hmm. uh, to obviously learn, um, but uh, also, uh, you know, come across as that trusted advisor, like I know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, staying on the latest trends and, and techniques in, in machine learning, right? And I learned a lot of this from you, uh, you know, staying on top of research papers and new publications that are coming out in terms of the new breakthroughs that are happening in the tech world that are always applicable to the folks that, that uh, you know, I've been selling into and, and working collaboratively with. Mm -hmm. And so having that routine of staying on top of all the news, I think has helped me, um, you know, certainly get up to speed in this world. Uh, but then certainly working with colleagues like yourself, uh, who are far smarter than I, uh, other technical stakeholders within the company, um, you know, who can help build uh, my vocabulary uh, <laughs> around, uh, you know, different techniques and, and whatnot that's, uh, that's happening in the, in the world of machine learning, I think has been kind of the key for me. Huh. Especially now, um, as you go through those routines there, are there any AI tools that you're using in your personal workflows? Yeah, you know, I, again, maybe this just speaks to the age uh, of myself, but I'm a little <laughs> bit old school in that regard. And then I haven't implemented a ton of AI techniques into my approach. Uh, I am still a wholehearted believer in the, the personal aspect mm -hmm. of selling. 
um, and trying to come across that way as someone who's genuinely interested in what the other person is doing. And so, yeah, I've messed around with, you know, Bard and ChatGPT and some of the other things that are out there now. But again, for me, I w- I've always just had best success being genuine uh, in coming across that I really do want to understand what the, the folks in our field are working on. Mm-hmm. Um, again, because I'm always the dumbest person walking into a room. Um, you know, for me, having that genuine curiosity kind of knocks down some of those barriers. I can have more open, candid discussions with folks. And again, obviously, I know enough to be dangerous to where I can sit across the table from an executive or a machine learning engineer and, and so on and so forth and talk the talk. Um, but I've, I've just always taken the tack that, you know, being a, a human uh, and not relying on, on AI in terms of kind of my sales approach um, yeah. has served me best. Now, that being said, there's probably something in the works that'll be launched next week that'll replace me. Uh, but that's just generally the way that I've approached it and haven't really adopted too many AI tools in, in yeah. the workflow. No, that's a, that's a great uh, point to make just on the limits of automation and the importance of still being a human when you're buying and selling expensive things. It seems your, yep. your superpower, Michael, will be staying old school. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I still, still take notes with pen and paper. So, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, 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 recently you uh, joined a very um, interesting startup um, out of Sweden called Cognica. Tell us more about your work there. Yeah. So, uh, you know, historically, obviously, as you know, uh, I do have ties to kind of the self driving car, ADAS, autonomous driving world. Uh, and so I was lucky enough to get connected with the Cognic team uh, prior to summer this year. Um, and based on the technology stack that I saw, uh, I was extremely interested and, and super eager to kind of get back and kind of, uh, you know, finish the business that we started back in, in 2015. But one of the things that, that really drew me to Cognic was kind of their best-in-class sensor fusion platform that they had built specifically for the ADAS and, and AE domain. Mm-hmm. Uh, where they've built a vision around this notion of an alignment platform, right? Helping align expectations of what humans want out of an AI and what the AI actually does. Um, explicitly focused, like I said, in the autonomous vehicle space. And, you know, after being out of the world for, you know, three and a half, four years, all of the same challenges that we were starting or, or trying to solve for back in Mighty AI are, are certainly still there. Uh, you know, turning unstructured data into highly accurate structured data sets for training perception models. Mm-hmm. But really what got me excited is, um, is their vision of building a true software platform that really helps teams understand what data uh, they already have existing in their data lakes that could be useful for training. But then also building more programmatic ways to understand and explain model performance, whether it's data related, whether there are gaps uh, in uh, model predictions versus ground truth, and kind of purposing those in an easier way to help speed the iterative process uh, to help teams get to a production rate model faster. Again, you know, the promise of self driving cars for me has always been fascinating. Uh, I think there's a lot of this ability while you do to unlock Q5, uh, which is the word of the right? That it probably was valued in the last year and I think back. 
And so having the ability to unlock that data just adds value for humanity. And and something that I'm still super excited about. And one of the reasons why I I got back into the space with Cognitive. As you were evaluating whether Cognic would be a, a good next step for, for you, uh, what are some of the questions you asked to evaluate it, uh, both on, on the technology side as well as on, on the go-to-market side, extrapolating to what type of questions a salesperson should be asking as they make their next shift to a, a technology company? Yeah. Um, you know, on the technology side, for me, it was a little bit less about that. Again, you know, I, I had a little bit of a head start. So I kind of understood what I was walking into here. Um, but there's, there's always a few core things that I look for, uh, in an organization. And, you know, this, I think just comes from my experience. But for me, culture was kind of the number one thing. Um, especially being a, a Swedish based company, right? I wasn't sure. Um, you know, how the, the cultures may have worked together or not. Um, you know, there's a lot of cultural nuance between European organizations and, and, uh, U.S. organizations. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I really spend a lot of time with our CEO, Daniel, in trying to understand the culture that he's built within the company. While it's still a startup, you know, they've been around for five years and have had great success during that time frame, uh, have a great roster of customers and so on and so forth. It gave me faith that the technology was real, uh, but really wanted to understand the culture that he had built and has instilled within the organization. Um, and that was really one of the things that, that sold me on the organization. Again, stepping away and, and not diving deep into the technical front. Yeah. Um, and then the same thing with, with the sales organization, right? Uh, again, historically, Cognic hasn't had a massive uh, sales footprint, um, but they uh, have recently invested in that side of the house, uh, brought in a new chief revenue officer uh, earlier this year, and so spent a lot of time with him understanding what his vision was for the sales team, um, you know, what, what he needed out of me. Uh, how I could bring maximum value to the organization to help speed up growth here in the U.S. and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And the cultural aspect of it um, really aligned with what I think I was looking for, especially at this stage in my career. Um, and uh, again, for me, that's kind of the, the number one thing that I look for. Um, secondarily, right? What, what was the overall opportunity? Again, having a little bit of a head start in being in this world uh, a number of years ago, uh, while there's been consolidation in the AV world, uh, I think the the opportunity is still massive. Uh, and so that was kind of what drove me to dive into this in a little bit more detail and ultimately see if I wanted to go back. Um, and with the, the tech stack that the team had built around 3D sensor fusion, the platform aspect that they've built from a software standpoint that is truly scalable, um, all ultimately won me over at the end of the day where, you know, I joined six weeks ago. So um, those are some of the things that you yeah. know, I looked for. Um, again, not necessarily diving deep into the technical stack. Again, being around for five years, working with the customers that, that we work with today, uh, yeah. had full faith that the, the tech was there and what I was shown uh, was actually on the truck and sellable. Uh, sellable. Um but it was more some maybe some of the soft stuff that I looked for uh, to really understand if if this was going to be the right fit for uh, a career move. Makes a lot of sense. Um, 
As you build your own team here in the U.S. to drive cognitive expansion through North America, um, outside of the obvious of just sales experience, what type of qualities are you looking for in um, people you hire? Um, how can someone stand out and really grab your attention? Yeah. Um, and for me, it's I, I think I look back at myself and it's maybe less about experience. Um, certainly coachability is, is a big uh, portion of it. Um, you know, what I think I've seen uh, and what has somewhat been validated is finding folks who have deep technical selling experience for artificial intelligence or machine learning tech uh, is few and far between. So for me, I think it's less important from that vantage point. Yeah. Uh, but really trying to find somebody who's hungry, who's coachable, uh, wants to win. Um, you know, again, you know, looking back at my career, I think that's one of the things that has helped me fairly significantly. I come from an athletic background. So again, yeah, I didn't know this at the time, but having the discipline to be able to get up every day, you know, do the things that were uncomfortable to me at the time, uh, just training day in, day out. Um, looking for those types of traits. Um, because the reality is that, you know, that you have to build a sales muscle. And if you haven't done that before, it's infinitely more challenging to do so. Mm -hmm. And when we're in a fast moving space um, where there aren't defined walls to work within, if that's what your expectation is, you just, you, you fall apart relatively easily. Um, so those are some of the, the things that we, we look for. Certainly having a technical background makes it a lot easier just in terms of uh, ramp up speed. Yep. Um, but I wouldn't say it's a prerequisite, um, which thankfully, you know, looking back on my career, that, that wasn't uh, one at the time. Otherwise, I, I wouldn't be anywhere near where I'm at today from a selling uh, deep tech standpoint. So, Just start looking for ex-semi-pro soccer players like yourself. Yes. <laughs> cool. uh, Ironically I'm, enough, we, yeah. uh, we just, uh, prior to me, a couple of weeks before me, um, we had an ex-professional golfer. Uh, who well, joined the team. So there's, there's some proof. <laughs> well, if I see uh, Tiger Woods with a cogging.com email address, I'll know why. For <laughs> Cool. Um, let's see. Uh, going back to the, the cultural piece that you mentioned, Michael, um, now you, you've worked at companies who have been all over the world across US, India, and now Sweden. As you've worked in the different um, uh, corporate cultures there have there been any like major differences you've noticed in terms of what the approach to sales is across those companies yeah it's a great question um frank i haven't uh there's obviously cultural nuance to things um Earlier on in my career, uh, when the first startup I was at was acquired uh, by an indian based company persistent systems. You know, I anticipated that there was going to be some sort of cultural shift, just given that's where the gravity of the company was based in India. Uh, and then that, you know, may have some impact on how we operated as, as the U.S. Uh, arm of the company. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it comes down to leadership, quite frankly. Um, we had leaders in place um, that did a good job of kind of molding the two teams and shaping the expectations 
uh, of what was needed to uh, build a cohesive organization where we were still heavily reliant uh, on a lot of the, the technical folks uh, in India um, while running the business in the U.S. and, and vice versa. Uh, and I think because of the leadership, it was a, it was less uh, of a disruption to the business than I originally thought of, and this mm. I thought it would be, and this was earlier in my career. Um, but when I look at Cognic now, obviously being a Swedish-based company, we're 135 people. Currently, I'm the sole guy in, in the United States. Um, again, yes, there's cultural differences. Um, you know, I think they take a lot more holiday in, in Sweden than we certainly do here in the US. Um, you know, work hours maybe are a little bit more defined, I would say, in Sweden more broadly. Uh, but again, our CEO has done a great job of distilling that. Yes, you know we're a Swedish-based company. We're going to adopt, uh, you know, kind of some of the the Swedish aspects of running a business. But at the end of the day, he's here to grow and drive the business forward, um, and he's put the right people in the right seats uh, to be able to have, uh, again, for lack of a better term, um, more akin to a U.S.-based startup feel. Than you know maybe a traditional European organization, uh, and again take that for what it's worth because I don't have a ton of uh, work experience with other European companies, um, but it's very much like a U.S. startup from what I've experienced. Again, the right people are driving the ship. We've got the right people in the right seats with everybody rowing in the same direction, and uh, I've not really seen any difference between uh, what I've been accustomed to from U.S.-based startups. Yeah. Uh, and again, I think that just goes to the nature of the leader. Yeah, it sounds like the companies that are really exciting and inflection point right now, definitely exciting to uh, excited to talk to you about this in six months and just see where things are. Um, 100%. Looking forward the, to it. The, yeah, the very last question I have for you, Michael, is um, you know, as someone who's been in this world for many years, I'm sure you have a lot of habits that are dialed down going back to the types of discipline that you've mentioned, but as you think about where you want to take your career next, you know, what are some of the things that you're doing to improve as a salesperson? Are there any like books or courses or daily habits that you can recommend to someone who's say just breaking into the field? Yeah. Um, Again, I, I always try to stay on top of everything that's happening in my specific area of, of domain. Um, I've also made it a point of a career standpoint by people that I can be on uh, as men. Uh, I've been lucky enough uh, through my career to talk to you uh, that I've built really good relationships over time where not only can I reach them at any point in time to ask questions, um, but they will challenge. The way I think have approached things to build a business. And that's absolutely it. Uh, at the end of the day, like, you know, they can rip me up one side and down the other. But when we hang up the phone, I can send a text message. And, you know, if I'm in town or they're in town, we can go out and grab a drink and, you know, we're, we're buddy buddy. Uh, and I think that has been invaluable to me. Hmm. Um, you know, with, Three young kids. I don't have uh, a ton of time to read much these days. Uh, I do obviously read a lot of online publications and, and whatnot. Um, but uh, I do kind of have my core go-to books uh, of how to build teams. Um, the Ultimate Sales Machine is one. 
the five dysfunctions of a team is another uh, that I kind of grew up on, uh, thanks to Eric Webster. Uh, and uh, those are kind of my, my fallbacks. Um, but uh, yeah, certainly having those mentors that I can pick up the phone, have monthly one-on-ones with um, has been absolutely invaluable to me. Uh, so I would highly urge uh, you know, younger folks coming up through the sales ranks to the extent that you can, uh, you know, build relationships with the higher ups within your organization. Um, and, you know, see if you can potentially leverage those, uh, as you continue to grow your career, move on from organizations and so on and so forth. But I think that's been the biggest help to me, uh, in going from a, you know, individual quota carrying sales guy, uh, to, uh, to something more substantial within our organization. Timeless advice. Well, Michael, that's all I got for now. Uh, thanks for, thank you so much for joining us and sharing more about your world. No, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Shay. Appreciate it. This podcast is brought to you by H10. Part about advanced technology that never changes is the need for the right people to design, build, and manage it. H10 offers just that with an on-demand talent and management service that covers all aspects of engineering, program management, and AI. Trusted by over 400 companies, including half of the Fortune 10, H10 is here to help lighten your load and make you the hero. 